there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Hey, anybody remember that game, Where's Waldo? <laughs> Yesterday, we were, we were looking for Dr. Batar all over the place. Turns out he was in... Where is he? Dr. Batar, you're here. It's Advanced Medicine Tuesday. Yeah, we'll have to change it over to Advanced Medicine Tuesday, but hopefully it'll only be this one week and we can go back to Advanced Medicine Monday starting next week. Yeah, Ty Bollinger is going to have a field day with you. you. What? He didn't show up for Monday? That's so typical. Did he Did he do the show yesterday then? Or t- no, actually, uh, we, we did some essential fatty acids. We figured we'd have to do some EFA science in your absence just to keep the inflammation down. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's good to hear your voice. I know things are, are going well over the over the pond, as we say. But you you know had some family issues as well, and I, it kind of brings a topic to light that we want to hit with some advanced medicine perspectives on it, and that is the issue of stroke. Yes, Robert. It it does. It brings home an important component. You know, sometimes things occur, and it brings it home in a different perspective, perhaps. And so when you experience it from a different angle, even though you cognitively and intellectually understand it from a very um, deep and intimate perspective until something happens that affects an individual within your own family, somebody close to you, then you actually see a different perspective. And it's interesting that I see my... Uh, basically, what we're talking about is my father had a uh, left medullary stroke, uh, the vertebral artery was occluded, and uh, it actually just occurred um, not even, you know, f- like 50 some hours ago, so it hasn't even been three full days yet, and um, I just found out about it actually um, about 36 hours ago, 24 to 36 hours ago. I'm not even sure exactly the time it's been since I've known now, but everything's kind of blended in, <clears throat> and it's almost in a way... Uh, surreal in the sense that you know what's going on, you know intellectually exactly what needs to be done and then you see how the hospital's reacting, he's in a different city um, how everybody else is reacting around and you have to take it all into perspective and it's almost like a predictive game where I know what they're going to do next, I know what my family is going through, I know what they're experiencing and I'm seeing a very clear picture from all perspectives. In other words, I know that my father, being the type of person he is, and Robert, you've obviously met my dad, Yes, you know, a very intelligent person, um, very spiritual person, and for a man like that to not be able to move the right side of his body, to not be able to communicate, it's going to be a scary thing. It's also going to contribute to more stress and more anxiety, which is going to make the blood pressure get up higher again, and it's going to create this feedback loop that is very difficult to break. And, uh, you know, thank God, very quickly he's been able to recover mobility in his right arm and his right leg, his uh, ability to speak, swallow, sitting up, still some slurred speech, 
Uh, and all again, nothing has been done. It's all symptom management. That's what they do in hospitals. Right. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you, Dr. Batar, knowing like you do what the standard of care is in these hospitals and dealing with stroke. And of course, it, it is a crisis intervention situation. There's no, no uh, denying that. But there are certain things that they do that maybe you wouldn't do knowing what you know. And there are certain things that they have to do to you know, kind of stabilize things. And it has to be done in a certain time frame, you know, certain things that occur. So, uh, you know, we're at this. And this is an interesting thing for you because, as you said, it, it's not just a knowledge-based uh, discourse here as we talk on Advanced Medicine Tuesday <laughs> today uh, about stroke, but because it's impacted your dad. And I can feel the emotions also of the family around it, knowing you and your family as well. So, you know, we wish and pray all the best for your dad, of course. Uh, but also, it's a, it's a teaching opportunity. Any of these experiences help us, not only within our family, but for all of those who listen around the world. Well, I appreciate the, the prayers and the sentiment, Robert. And it is a teaching opportunity. It's a learning opportunity and a teaching opportunity in that we have to recognize what the situation is, obviously, and we have to detach the emotional aspect from it, even though the emotion is what brings us capable and able to deal with it on a better level. But we have to also, I mean, I can see the emotional increasing in all my family members, and I can see the personalities becoming more exacerbated and having to, they're relying on me, obviously, and I'm telling them everything's going to be fine, but i got to get him to the clinic as fast as possible. We've got this 24 to 48-hour critical time frame, which by the time I knew about it, he was already about 36 hours into this event. So um, he's recovered very quickly, you know, ground transportation, getting him back to Charlotte, uh, me getting to Charlotte, what needs to be done, and the components. So I'm talking to some of my uncles and, you know, aunts, and they're also in the medical profession and just different components and the dynamics. It really made me appreciate my understanding of how this entire dynamic works and seeing the conventional side, seeing and being able to predict exactly what they're going to do. I had to get it across to my family members that, listen, nothing has been done. Everything that you've seen right now with him getting better is all his own body responding because nothing has been done. He hasn't been heparinized, which is something that I brought up to the hospital yesterday. And of course, they weren't sure if it was an ischemic stroke or a hemorrhagic stroke. If it's ischemic, it means there's a blockage. If it's hemorrhagic, it means there's a bleed. If there's a bleed, you don't want to uh, give a person any type of anticoagulant because then they can hemorrhage worse and it can right. And just so for, for the lay audience, we're talking about warfarin, coumadin, that type of thing that thins the blood. In certain types, it may be necessary or, or let's say warranted, but in certain types, as you just said, differentiate the type of stroke. You got to be sure you're you're doing the appropriate treatment, or you could make things worse. Right, and exactly, warfarin or coumadin is what I don't want him on, and that's a long-term play. But the acute play, which is heparin, short-lived, no real, no no side effects. That's what I wanted. And, of course, their concern was, well, we can't give it that because we don't know what's going on. And if we do that, then it's all something that you have to accept the responsibility. We don't want to take the responsibility. I understand that. But, you know, at the same time, we're not doing anything right now. And that's my conversation with the neurologist last night. And then this morning when I talked to my sister, they've already started heparinizing him, which, you know, okay. is good. But that was a, a point of argument because, again, what do we really do in any type of acute setting? from one of these types of conditions, not trauma. Trauma is totally different. In trauma, we have great advances and we do some great things. But in these type of situations like stroke, heart attack, we're really dealing with the symptom management aspect. And, of course, if you, if you give something like a anticoagulant, you give streptokinase or something like that for, say, a myocardial infarction for a heart attack, you are dealing with blocking 
the cascade from continuing, meaning that you're actually opening up the clot or revascularizing the area, but you're still not really addressing the issue that caused the problem in the first place. And sometimes it's difficult to address the issue that's causing the problem at an acute level because you have to you know, manage the case to prevent further damage. And you can come back to the etiological aspect, the, the cause that originally initiated this, this, this entire event. But in modern medicine, as you know, Robert, there's very little when we talk about chronic disease that we do that's definitively addressing the etiological component. And that's where right. really the dichotomy occurs between you and I and our belief and the conventional mainstream medical belief where it's symptom management versus dealing with the actual causation factor. Right. And, and, I, and I was going to ask you, Dr. Vitari, knowing what you know, of course, it's a matter of you know getting someone out of crisis in an acute response, the trauma within the, what they call the stroke, which is an event that you didn't just happen on that day, even though there is an accident that occurs, but it's preceded by perhaps months or even years of issues that are Absolute not addressed. Years. Uh, years. Yeah, not, not addressed by the tr- the, the standard of care, if you will, in allopathic medicine. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's definitely an issue that has been, you know, building up. And, and this is one of the reasons, you know, the learning opportunity for me is to how is it when when I'm putting in the same situation, it just accentuates the need to do these things. In other words, you've probably heard where situations have occurred in the past where a person preaches A, B, C, D and going down one line. And then when something happens, they actually go to one, two, three. They totally change their belief. I mean, in my mind, there was only one thing and one thing that I had to do. I had to get my dad into uh, a setting where I can start to do what we normally do. And we brought people back. You've seen that on the, mm-hmm. on the DVD, on the heart disease DVD. Yes. Uh, for example, the, the president of the Taekwondo Association, the world president, um, you know, Pontine Stroke, six years, bedridden. And we had him walking within less than a week and a half. And those type of things, we've had numerous cases. So this is an acute event. I already know. And in fact, you know, it's interesting to see the dynamics in my own family. Um, there, was, there was a lot of arguments, but there was no argument as far as getting him to me. My sister, who right. has the issues an attorney, and she has the, um, the living will for my father. And, of course, my father, as you know, is an attorney. My youngest brother, who you know, is also an attorney. And then my other brother, who's um, independently wealthy based upon his business dealings. But it was interesting that seeing all their dynamics... They were uniform on one thing, and that was to get him to me. It was, it was how are we going to get him, you know, the time frame we're going to get him, but they were all uniform. So I'm blessed in that situation, in that scenario, because I was glad that there was no confusion as far as the type of care. Everybody unanimously, we got to get him to you. Um, the situation is, you know, the, the logistical components and some of the other dynamics were, were well, points. That, you, you know, I'm pleased to hear that because we know there are family dynamics. Every family has them. And whatever differences or arguments well, that may and, occur, at least now that... Robert, my family has a lot of interesting dynamics. <laughs> yes, I was trying to uh, soft play that. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, they, but... To hear that they're all on board with you and your, and, and your knowledge and your experience and caring for those in need from a health perspective, that's a great, great sign because that bodes well for your dad when you get back and, and get him under your care. Um, we've got about a minute before we've got to take a break here, Dr. Batar. And, you know, one of the things I do want to go through and is somewhat a, a rev, uh, revisiting is the things that you will do via chelation or other things that will help others out there who are dealing with family members that may be on the road to stroke, suspicious of it, or have already had it, and what we can do to bring them back, things that you've done in the past. So uh, if you don't mind, that's where we'll go when we come back from the break. Is that cool? 
that's great. I was going to say, do you want me to start outlining him now or just wait? No, no, we're going to take the break here. I don't want to go over. Super Don will get mad at us. <laughs> so stand by. We're talking with Dr. Rasha Batara, very international advanced medicine Tuesday because he was late, but he had a good excuse, a note from his dad. So <laughs> he's here now, thankfully, and we'll be back with more information on how to heal from stroke after this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. My name's Bruno. I'm 52 years old. I've tried different protein powders over the years, and they've all tasted pretty bad. I tried One World Whey and found it to be delicious. After 10 weeks on One World Whey, my wife commented, you have more muscles and you're leaner than when you were 20 years old. My body has changed dramatically. I'm a cyclist. Normally, I'll ride two days on and take two days off. After being on One World Whey, I rode 10 days in a row in over 100-degree heat, and then I take another two servings of One World Whey and then work out at the gym for another hour and a half. I just couldn't believe these results. My normal muscle tightness and soreness after working out are virtually gone. Don't take my word for it. One World Whey comes in single servings. Just give it a try. For a health and taste sensation you'll love, call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit oneworldway.com. That's oneworldway.com. of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, Dr. Batar is with us from Europe right now. Of course, he's got the international bestseller, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. And everywhere I go, I'm telling folks about it. In fact, I was just in Sarasota and let them know about what you're doing, not realizing you weren't going to be back for Monday. But then again, we just lay it out and roll with it. And here you are Tuesday. So thanks for being with us, considering everything you're going through over there. But you sound really good. Well, it, it, everything is good. It really has been very non-eventful from a perspective of what you would expect in a situation like this when something happened to my dad. But, you know, as we were talking over, off the air, Robert, it's mm-hmm. just like time slows down. Everything becomes very clear. <clears throat> in, in my mind, there's been absolutely no hesitation, no worry, um, actually a lack of emotion, if anything. Just a um, matter of fact, you know, roll up the sleeves, time to do X, Y, and Z. And that's why I kind of call it a non-eventful type thing because I can see everything clear. It's more in focus than it ever is. It's more, uh, it's simpler. It's just the only word to describe it would be clarity. Yeah, well, you, you get into that zone. Of course, panic takes you out of it. Uh, so if you can find that calm space there, and it's not always possible. We were talking again off the air on the commercial break about it. There are times more often than not that I'll find my, myself there and people around you are panicking and you're calm and it's hard to understand. They look at you and go, well, you should be panicking. This is horrible what's happening. And yet you're in that space of knowingness at that time. And then I've been in the space of panic too, quite honestly. I'm human. I've been there as well. So I can feel for those who are worried and concerned. But it's nice to know that you, you, you have that sense about you. You'll be able to come back help your dad. And of course, right now, we'll be able to help others with kind of some of the steps we can do to reverse, you know, any damage uh, from a stroke scenario. 
Well, yeah, yeah, and actually, I think that this point that we just brought up about the clarity and the relaxation aspect, you know, one of the things I used to do, technique I used to do in the emergency rooms whenever a person would come in with a gunshot wound when I used to moonlight when I was with the Army, um, and I was trained in a level one trauma center, so gunshot wounds were a matter of routine. We would take care of anywhere between three to ten gunshot wounds a night, you know, multiple stabbings, blunt trauma, that type of stuff all the time. So when you're working in a community hospital moonlighting, and there's a gunshot wound that comes in, which they may see maybe five gunshot wounds a year or something, everybody loses their minds. I mean, they're just freaking out and, you know, people are dropping stuff and just yelling and screaming. And, and what my technique would be, since I was that was in charge, I would come and stand by the doorway and I would lean into the door jam and I would stretch and yawn as loud as I possibly could. And everybody would turn around and look at me and it was amazing what would happen. And I would do that for effect, but... I just looked totally bored, and everybody else's hyperness, overexcitement would just come right down. They would just completely calm down because their image that they said, okay, you know, all hell's breaking loose. Here's the guy that's in charge, and he's bored out of his mind, so what are we <laughs> freaking out about? And it would, I wouldn't have to say anything, I, you know, nothing about calm down, do that. I just yawn and stretch, and I did this every time. It would bring everybody's excitement level down, and then everybody would just get down to business and get the job done because – there really isn't that much to freak out about. When trauma is pretty simple, you know, airway, breathing, circulation. There's certain things. It's it's about the only thing in medicine that's cookbook that is actually should be cookbook. It's right. just routine so that you snap into it. You know, it's like shooting a free throw. You do it so many times, and you know exactly the motions you're supposed to go through. You know, you're supposed to dribble a ball three times, take a breath, hold it. You know, the normal cascade of events that's supposed to take place trauma is like that it's it's very very simple and if you lose your mind you freak out you don't remember what to do you go back to the basics it's airway a you know a is first b second c is third airway breathing circulation and all the acute care trauma uh, advanced cardiac life support advanced um, trauma life support advanced pediatric life support all these courses that they have that are taught for doctors to deal with trauma i've taught those i've been on the faculty to teach these courses so it's been done so many times and the first thing that a person should remember is always take your blood pressure, your own blood pressure. Always take your own pulse. You know, mm-hmm. Just see if your pulse is racing, you need to slow it down, meaning that's the thing that I would teach doctors You know, when they would come through the training program. The first thing when there's an acute situation, take your own pulse and make sure that it's nice and calm. And if it's not, get your pulse calm and then go into that so, next scenario. So step one, Dr. Batar's version from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Don't Panic, is to just – Stand in the doorway, lean forward, and yawn like nothing's going on. And everybody That's else right. will calm down as well. It's pretty sneaky. I like it. Yeah. So from there, we, you know, we're almost up on a break here. But, I mean, th- this was a great segment to kind of set the stage for, uh, you know, because if we panic, then nothing else we say is going to matter. Nothing else is going to help. So we get- well, the whole thing, the, the cascade just begins. It goes the wrong way. Then you see nursing staff. You see emergency personnel. They panic. Then you, the, the family members that are out in the hallway, they see everybody panicking. Then they start panicking. Yeah. I mean, it's just it, it doesn't serve any calm, purpose whatsoever. Be cool. Be collected. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show, Special Advanced Medicine Tuesday edition with Dr. Rashid Bittar. And we'll be back to go further into the stroke remediation session. We'll be right back. The Robert Scott Bell Show. world to the power of radio it's the robert scott bell show 
All right. Had to take a nap on that break because uh, Dr. Pitar just calmed me down so nicely. No panic here. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> try, try, try to host a radio show when you're that relaxed. It doesn't work. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, you're doing great. Now, now we got past the panic. No panicking. Now we got to know what can we do for those folks because there are a lot of people, and not just the elderly, although it happens more frequently there, dealing with stroke scenarios. And we want to look at not only prevention, but what happens afterwards that they can come to someone like yourself. What can you do that the standard of care allopaths that don't understand this can't do? Well, let's take it from the next step. If somebody is experiencing a stroke or your family is, um, you know, the family member is witnessing a stroke happening, you know, the first thing is you have to get to an acute care setting institution like a hospital is what I'm talking about. You need to call 911. You need to get to the hospital because, yes, you don't want them to be treated, um, neglected, this, that, the other, but you still have to get them in the hospital and they have to be managed because the airway is the most crucial component. So, you know, from from what I was just talking about, the first step, take your own pulse, call 911, get them to the hospital. And let's just make that assumption that they're going to manage uh, appropriately the patient, make sure the airway is patent and take care of the person, rule out whether it's a hemorrhagic stroke versus an ischemic stroke, meaning is it a stroke where the blood vessel has burst and there's blood coming out versus, or like an aneurysm type scenario versus an ischemic stroke, which is a blockage where there's a clot that's moving, an emboli that's moved into the brain and then caused a distal perfusion issue where the part of the brain isn't getting uh, the blood supply. So you need to do that. Don't don't negate that. Don't I don't want anybody to think, oh, well, Dr. Pitar said, you know, let's take my pulse and then uh, I need right, to take right. an herb or something, because that's not, that's no. not what we're saying. You need to get the person to an acute care setting, meaning a hospital, to an emergency room where they can stabilize the individual. We okay. have to make sure that their airway is stable, that the person's able to breathe, make sure that the stroke is distinguished whether it's a hemorrhagic stroke, meaning that there's a bleed versus an occlusive stroke where there's a meaning that there's an emboli or, or a blockage. Right, and Basically, no, that's clear at this point. You have distinguished it, and I want to make sure everybody, you listen and you re-listen to that, because that's where we leap from now. We're assuming right. now that they're stabilized, they figure out which one it is, and now we want to get them the help that you know advanced medicine can get them. Right, and in fact, you know, beyond the hemorrhagic aspect versus the ischemic aspect, um, once the person's airway is stable, once they're able to void, they mean they can urinate, they can have a bowel movement, they're able to breathe, they can swallow. Once the hospital has said this individual now needs stroke rehab or this person is now ready to go down to a step-down unit and be discharged, at that point, now what you need to do, and this is a crucial component that we must, must understand, let them stabilize the individual, and then at that point, once the person is ready to leave the hospital, you need to get the person to a facility that can do two things. One, where they can do hyperbaric oxygen therapy, and two, and this is not like a soft chamber with ambient air. I'm talking about a place that they can put an individual into a steel chamber with 100% oxygen, at least at 1.3 atmospheric pressures or higher, and in, con- in combination with that, where they can do IV therapies. And what what is done here, we have a specific brain recovery protocol, but I do certain IVs under pressure. Now, I know many doctors that do hyperbarics, but they don't do the IVs. I know other doctors that do IVs, but not hyperbarics. And I, know, I don't know anybody except for the doctors that have come through our training program that know how to do this technique that we combine the IV therapies with the oxygen. And the key component here is the reason I do it under atmospheric pressure is that I want to saturate the body's tissues 
with the substances that I'm giving, which are going to be various types of nutrients and minerals. That's one component, but also mm-hmm. the chelation aspect where we're helping to revascularize that area of injury if it's an ischemic stroke and if it's an if it's a hemorrhagic stroke then we would actually delay that portion maybe for a few weeks because now you've got blood that is leaked into this tissue and there's calcium components there there's calcifications that can occur and when you chelate the individual you're actually pulling and binding that calcium out of that tissue and preventing various types of scarring and other types of anomalies from occurring so both are indicated the timing is going to be dependent upon the time of the type of stroke that occurred. Right. But you need to get a person into that type of setting where they can do two types of treatments, one hyperbaric oxygen therapy and two intravenous therapies that can be done concomitantly. All right. So we got a clarity there as well, and we hope there are more advanced medicine doctors out there that can do what you've done and trained others to do. And, of course, the hyperbaric oxygen we have discussed on the air because, remember, there are some folks that were utilizing it for uh, children who are diagnosed with autism but they, if they only did that, it wasn't sufficient because there were such metal uh, issues that needed to detoxify. Uh, you know, do we see metal issues in stroke patients as well? Yes, actually we do. Um, and the issue is that the acute aspect of it, we want to revascularize that injury. You see, the reason that this is contraindicated in a child is because the brain is developing. It's in a critical phase of developing. Whereas when you're dealing with a person that's in their 70s or 80s who had a stroke, their brain is fully developed. They're now having an ischemic assault. So we need to uh, reperfuse that area as fast as possible. Two different etiological components, both having high metals in, in, the, in the pathology, but it's a critical development of the brain, meaning this phase of development of the brain that dictates which treatment to do and which treatment not to do, and also the time. In other words, hyperbrakes indicated in both but in that young developing brain that's more susceptible to oxidative stress and is not having an ischemic assault, meaning non-hemorrhagic or, or, or ischemic, even if it's a hemorrhagic stroke, the issue is still the same. You're not getting oxygen to a certain part of the brain. But in a child with autism, a child with a developmental delay, there is no injury that's occurring because of lack of oxygen. The injury is occurring because of oxidative stress. So the, take that individual and give them hyperbaric oxygen, taking them from ambient air of 21% and putting them into a 100% oxygen situation is going to increase that rate of oxidative damage to the brain fivefold. Whereas in a stroke patient, you're not going to have that issue because, one, the brain's fully developed, and two, mm-hmm. the assault is lack of oxygen. So to give them that oxygen and, and give them the IVs that are going to help to reperfuse that injury to help the oxygen get there. In fact, the oxygen and the intravenous therapies act concomitantly and supersede. They actually exceed the sum of the individual parts when used correctly together. Uh, it's dramatic. I mean, dramatic to the point that you can take people that were virtually non-capable of walking and having them walk in a very, very rapid time. I'm talking about in four or five days. I've even seen it done in our clinic. We've actually had it. We've seen it, witnessed it in less than 72 hours. And actually, uh, this we've got is, some of those things on video, Robert, that you yeah. dictated, the, yeah. the videos that you narrated. It's huge. It absolutely is huge. And this is the thing that some people, if they're new listeners, would, you know, the, the classic line, Dr. Batar, you've heard it. Well, if that were the case, then everybody would be doing it. Of course, we go down that road. They need to read the nice steps to keep the doctor away to understand that real innovation is often resisted violently. And this is a transformation in the ability to recover from stroke that is that dramatic. 
In fact, Robert, you know, I postulated, based upon our preliminary findings in dealing with the autistic patient population, that if this brain recovery protocol worked with an autistic child, by definition, it should act in, it should actually act the same way. It, we should get the same type of results, or even possibly better results in closed head injuries, in uh, stroke patients, etc. And we have tried this in blunt trauma patients. We've tried this in soldiers with closed head injuries that came back from Afghanistan and Iraq. We've tried this in post-stroke patients. And not only did we see the same results, we saw results that blew us away compared to what the autistic results in brain recovery were. So it is, you know, these are principles of if the brain's not working, what can we do? And even though their ideological components may have some similarities, it's the timing. It's a critical difference. One is a fully developed brain versus the de- brain that is developing. One is a vascular injury slash uh, ischemic injury. The other one is an oxidative, chronic oxidative injury from heavy metals and other types of issues going on. And so it's a timing issue. Which treatment do you do? When do you do it? And at, at what order or in which order do you do those treatments? And that's really where the difference comes in. But the results are just absolutely beyond anything that is possible. I would, and I have said this before, I said this in 2020, I said this in PBS, I said this during all the interviews, that if you take closed head injury, you take a post-stroke patient, and I will, I will be happy to take on any other institution and let me take so many stroke patients. The same challenge that I did with the autism population, right. Robert, remember? Right. Give me these children, let somebody independently evaluate both groups, give me the worst half, let me treat them. Let the other doctors treat them however they're going to treat them. And then we publicly showed the results. We let the patients, you know, we actually interview the patients. We let, make that decision by letting the public decide where the, where the real results lie. The only stipulation that I would have is that it be aired on public TV. And nobody's ever taken me up on the challenge. Well, that same challenge can be applied to stroke because it's the same type of issue. Ischemic stroke, no problem. Hemorrhagic stroke, more, more complicated, but again... Long term, you get the same results. Right. Phenomenal. Right. And of course, we talk about uh, long term recovery as well, getting them out of acute crisis, as we said, from the emergency room standard of care out to the realm where we can do uh, oxygen, hyperbaric type therapies, IV therapies as well. Uh, we also have to consider the long term, let's say, regeneration of uh, structural integrity because there's a lot of inflammation, a lot of damage. Uh, we've we've talked on the air about certain mineral deficiencies that that also play themselves out here, vascular wise as well as other areas of connective tissue, silicon or silica deficiencies. Uh, so, other long term strategies that you have to share? Yeah, actually, mineralization is extremely crucial, and uh, because again, the heavy metals act by displacing the minerals, and so they actually have a very significant imbalance, calcium, magnesium, uh, selenium. There's a lot of issues there. You've also got to think about from a preventive level, again, if there's a occlusive type injury or something that happened where it prevented the flow of blood, if it's exclusive, then you have to think about what can be done naturally to help the person not have this occlusive component reoccur. Well, one of the most effective things that can be done is actually giving ginger. And ginger is a beautiful, extremely effective, no side effect, natural anticoagulant. You basically get fresh ginger about the size of the pinky nail on your pinky finger uh, of the individual. You know, sometimes people are bigger, smaller, just whatever the size of the pinky nail is on the patient, about that size of ginger. Chop it up and then chop it up a little bit more, mince it up, put it in a cup and put hot tea in it to make a hot, fresh ginger tea. Drink that and then scoop up the ginger afterwards and eat it. And generally speaking, 
I tell patients to do that for maybe two or three days and then go to every other day because they don't need as much natural anticoagulant. I have, I mean, it's a natural way of doing it. It's so much more effective than anything that's out there. And again, I don't want you to think that that's something you should do. If somebody's starting to have a stroke in front of you, don't right, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't do it, it at that moment. Because that's not going to help yeah. you. We're talking after the acute critical phase. That's uh, uh, Dr. Batar is very present considering it's uh, almost the middle of the night out there away in Europe. So we're going to uh, come back. We're going to wrap up the show in a special edition of Advanced Medicine on a Tuesday with Dr. Rashid Batar. Remember the medical rewind if you ever miss a show. We'll be right back. Live around the world. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Bell show. Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Remember, if you ever miss Advanced Medicine, no matter what day of the week we air it on, it's okay. You can go to medicalrewind.com. They're linked in through the, the notes each week as well with lots of other links you'll want to explore, including how to get the international bestseller, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. I will be lecturing Friday uh, in Eustis at the Windhorse Theater. Of course, I'll be talking about Dr. Batar's book there and more. Uh, but tell your friends, this is a place for health, freedom, and healing liberty all around planet Earth right now in Europe. Dr. Batar, I don't know what more we have to cover here, but it's really impressive how comprehensive, uh, to fig- figuring the time of the day it is where you are. I appreciate you bearing with me today. Well, absolutely, Robert. It's, uh, as I said earlier, it's not only an opportunity to uh, teach, but it's an opportunity to learn and just learn what emotionally a person may be experiencing. You know, I was amazed at how many people that I've encountered in just the last 48 hours here in Europe, how many of them have such a burning desire to know the truth about the amalgams. And people are asking me, you know, I feel that this stuff in my teeth isn't good. What do you think? Is this something that I should take out? And I'm like, of course. And, you know, people wanting to know more about the book, wanting to know more about the seven toxicities, wanting to know about what is the key factor behind cancer. And when I tell people that there's a fifth toxicity, the emotional psychological is the number one issue. And yes, you can remove all these other components, but that fifth component, the emotional psychological, unless that's addressed, the cancer can never be truly effectively put into history for that particular individual. And people, it's almost these aha moments that they're having. They're, they're recognizing it. And these are people that wouldn't necessarily be people that you would think would have a lot of knowledge in this space. And they may not have even had much exposure to this type of information, but intuitively, on a vibrational and on a resonance level, they feel it, they, they want it. The person who's putting on the conference is so excited about bringing this component to their followers because uh-huh. it's so important in her own personal life. And so, you know, it's just, it's just a dynamic that everywhere, it, it's not just in the U.S. We've talked about this when sure. we did the advanced medicine seminars and some of the different places, Robert, that I've been that you haven't been at or that you've been that I haven't been at. Right. We're seeing this universally. We've talked about it, how it's becoming rampant all throughout the United States. Well, it is all over the world because we're seeing the same type of response everywhere. Yes. I'm here on the other side of the world and the same type of response. Yeah, beautiful. And, and I, it's been a while, some years since I've been over to Europe. And my impression from afar right now is that in some ways they're more advanced than us in terms of their recognition of food, quality, non-GMO issues versus us in America. And in some ways, maybe there's some advancements here that they haven't embraced, like you said, talking about amalgam, which we've been talking about for years here. Well, I agree with you. They are certainly in many aspects more advanced than us. 
from a society standpoint, they do understand the importance of protecting their food and the integrity of their food. And there is more of a freedom aspect that's associated with the individual. In fact, they, in Europe that I've seen, and so far, this may not even just be unique to Europe, but pretty much everywhere that I've gone on the planet, I've noticed that this personal freedom aspect is one of the most important components to all these people from all these different nations. And by the way, there's an independent group that assesses the country, each different country, uh, independently. They're well-reputed, and it's on various things from how a country's been governed to personal freedoms to um, various types of components that they rank. And the United States, in personal freedom, ranks number 16 by this third-party independent group that assesses various components in countries and that the United States is ranked as number 16 in personal freedom. The land of the free and the home of the brave is ranked number 16 as far as personal freedoms, granting personal freedom. That's yeah, well, well we admittedly sad. are really sucking the non-organic eggs over here at this point on that issue. That's why we continue yeah. to, to cry out, if you will, in our own way to, to raise awareness to the best of our ability so people will stand up and re-embrace that love of liberty that made America the place where people, you know, that's that shining light on the hill that was described as. Uh, so right now you, in Europe, they're t- they tend to be embracing it more than we are here in America. Interesting. Uh, any other? And, I've had, mm-hmm. and Robert, it's been interesting that I've had people from Austria, Italy, and from Switzerland all voice the same thing that I cannot believe that people in America are still tolerating this and haven't risen. Yeah. This is other countries, people saying that to me, that I cannot believe that American citizens are tolerating this and have not. I want to uh, talk more about that when you get back stateside, Dr. Batar. We're out of time here, but that is a fascinating place to end on. And if anybody else has insight on it, let us know. RobertScottBell.com, MedicalRewind.com, Rashid Batar, Dr. Batar, thank you for being here with us. And I'm left to remind everyone that the power to heal is yours. Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.